0: Welcome everyone to MANA Ministry and another episode in our series called Truth Prescription specifically on mental health and my name is Dr. Katie Elson, I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and joining me is Chriselle Olasaran, I am a licensed marriage and family therapist. Thank you for joining us. Yes and we are your hosts week after week or I should say episode after episode and just as a reminder, although we are mental health professionals, the intent of this series is not to be a substitute for professional advice, treatment, diagnosis, etc. Instead, the purpose is to provide spiritual guidance, specifically utilizing the Bible as our mental health treatment manual and God as our prescriber for truth. And so we encourage you that if you are having any concern with your mental health, that you can ask advice from your mental health professional or other qualified health provider um, as a primary resource.
1: Yes. And just to add on to that, if in the event you are in a crisis or any particular emergency, we do encourage you to call your doctor or 911 immediately. And if you're having any suicidal ideation or thoughts to call the National Suicide Line, which is one 800 273 talk which is 8255. And if you're located outside of the area, just contact your local
0: emergency. Yeah, so we know that this week is National Suicide um, Awareness right. Prevention Week. And so um, we definitely want to highlight this and encourage you to reach out. We live in a time where it's very isolating and very lonely. And so we encourage you to reach out. Mm-hmm. Now, Chrisal, what is our topic for today? We'll briefly introduce it, and then we'll cover our truth prescription from last episode.
1: Yes, and so the title is The Disguise of Lies. And I really like the image that was chosen for this episode because it almost depicts almost like an acting, a distortion. You are someone, but then you have a mask that's covering, therefore not really seeing who the real person is. And we're going to apply that in the context of our thoughts. And so last week, we introduced the thought process of how it how it's connected to our, our emotions and our behaviors. And we even had that question, think positive. Is that what we're supposed to be doing? Just thinking positively? So we're going to go further into the thought process, but going to the specifics of what are the types of thoughts that are not only unhealthy to have, but the main question is, are they truthful? I mean, these are truth prescriptions, right? So we're wanting to know what is the truth. So that's the disguise of lies that we're going to be focusing on. But Katie, give us a little brief summary. I think I kind of did already, but if you want to add on anything else of the previous episode regarding think positive question mark.
0: Yeah, so you did do already a <laughs> summary, but just to quickly mention, if you haven't watched it, watch it. <laughs> it's a good introduction to our sub-series on thoughts. So we just covered a, a sub-series on behaviors, the importance of our behaviors and how that impacts our mood, but now we're talking about thoughts. And one of the key verses, biblical verses that we used um, to show the power of our thoughts is... As a man thinks, so is he. Same as the quote we use that, you know, watch your thoughts because they become words and actions and habits and eventually character and your destiny, right? So thoughts are powerful. And that's why we're going to be talking about the lies that we tell ourselves and how important it is to change those. But we want to make sure always that you did your homework, (laughs) your truth prescription, Um, from our last episode was what, Chriselle? So first off, we just covered behaviors because we had been covering
1: behaviors prior to thoughts, but we recognize, right, the interactive role of our behaviors with our thoughts. So the number one thing was to review your behaviors. Is there or are there any behaviors that you still need to change? Because our behaviors do impact the way that we think. And then secondly, when feeling down, stressed, or a certain feeling comes up, to increase your awareness, to increase your mindfulness, and to take a notice of those thoughts. What are you thinking in that particular moment? And that's connected to what we're going to be doing today.
0: Yes, and I like that you use the word awareness, right? Because you first have to be aware of your thoughts. No mm-hmm. one might be looking at this, and that's an easy truth prescription, but we talked about we have thousands and thousands of thoughts each day. And so the emotions kind of like the flag to say, hey, take a deeper look at those thoughts. And now today, we're going to be talking about an even deeper look of looking at what we call cognitive distortions, right, Chris? mm-hmm. Now, Chriselle, as an introduction to today's episode, what's the link between the disguise of lies and cognitive distortions? Well, first off, let's
1: just t- kind of take the word disguise and understand what does that really mean? right? The image that we have there for the int- the introduction and the announcement for the episode kind of depicts what disguise means. But the precise definition is to give someone or even to yourself a different appearance in order to conceal one's identity. So appearing to be something that you're not, right? If I were to summarize that, or a means of altering your appearance or concealing your identity.
0: Okay? Now, that's quite interesting, in the context that we're living in, right? A lot of us are wearing masks. And I remember that originally I used to think, oh, eyes have to, the eyes really, you know, um, show a lot of who somebody is. You cover the eyes and, but even the mouth. I remember the one mask. time, a client had been wearing a mask a whole time and then they <laughs> took it off and it's like, whoa. A completely different person. Yeah. So we use different masks to conceal the true identity right now how is that related to distortions
1: so it's it's not necessarily yeah it it is related but i would say it's just another word to describe essentially right um so to be distorted is the action of giving a misleading account or impression in a sense falsifying that it's not really what it is. It's very misleading. So a disguise is the same thing. It's misleading. You're not presenting yourself either to others or to yourself who you really are. And then you can distort your thoughts. You can distort yourself. That's essentially what a distortion is. So cognitive distortion, cognitive meaning the way that you think, the thought process, right? So a cognitive distortion is a
0: distorted way of thinking. Perfectly said. And one thing that we're really trying to drive home here is that with distortions, with disguises of lies, this, the, there's this element of it that's truth, right? When you put a mask on, you're still there. But there's a huge component of lies, of falsehood that is covering that truth. Mm-hmm. And so that's really important to emphasize because Chriselle, I know that when, when many times when we're working with clients, they're like, "No, no, no, my thoughts are true," right? Mm-hmm. Of they're fearful about something. No, no, there's actual danger, and there is. There's a truth component to it, but there's this lie, falsehood, concealment mm-hmm. of the truth, and that's really what we're going to be talking today, and not just cognitive distortions as an individual thought, but these are patterns of thoughts, Mm -hmm. right? So we're going to be talking about different patterns of lies that disguise the truth.
1: Yes. And so before we officially begin, let's bow our heads in prayer asking that God lead us into the truth, because while I may be a therapist, while Dr. Elson is a therapist, right? The truth comes from God. And so we're going to ask for his guidance and the Holy Spirit to give us clarity And to give us, yeah, just clarity from the distorted ways that we think, right? I don't know how else to put that. So let's bow our heads in prayer. And dear Lord in heaven, we just want to come, Lord, with our open hearts, asking that you reveal to us the truth. The truth sometimes can be so hard to decipher, considering the times that we're living in, the lives that we lead, Lord. So we we turn to you because we recognize, Lord, that the truth is found in you. Thank you so much for being a God that reveals himself to us every single day. We just pray that you give us the courage and the strength to adhere to that, to that revelation of you, Lord. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.
0: Amen. So, Griselle, before we jump into the actual distortions, right, we want to talk about, well, where do these distortions come from? Right okay. Now, We've mentioned this verse in prior episodes, but we want to reiterate it. Mm-hmm. And this is found in John 8.44. Do you have yeah. that for us? I do have that. So I'll go
1: ahead and read that. John 8.44. And it reads, You are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. For he is a liar
0: and the father of it. It's not just does he lie. He's the father of it. Yeah. So he is the father of all lies. So if I am thinking a lie, that is being suggested to me by who?
1: The father of all lies, which is the enemy, which is Satan.
0: Yes. And we'll talk a little bit later about, well, why would he want us to believe these things in the first place? Mm -hmm. Um, so he's the father of all lies. Now, this next verse is really powerful because when we when I think about a lie, you know, I think about this, you know, blatant out, oh, of course that's lie- a lie. I can really tell, you know, what it is. It's like, you know, someone were to come to you and give you a, a cup with black water, right? And be like, here, drink this poison. Uh uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> of course, Audio. Yeah. But instead, if I came to you with a cup, with clear water, maybe a drop of poison, you could even see it, then you would be more tempted to take it. And so there's, again, this disguise, this concealment. Mm-hmm. And that's how these cognitive distortions work. So, Crystal, do you have that verse for us?
1: Yes, I have Second Corinthians eleven fourteen, 14, right? Yes.
0: Okay. Okay. I think I got the right one. Uh, yes, 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, And no wonder, for Satan
1: himself transforms himself into an angel of light, which goes back to our understanding and definition of having that disguise. He transforms himself into an angel of light. Is he an angel of light? No, but he is
0: appearing to be one. Yeah, so that tells me that... The biggest form of deception is not when somebody comes, we think about the, the enemy as, you know, this red guy with these horns and this, this, this tail, but no, he comes as an angel of light. Oh, I'd be attracted to an angel of light. I'd say, hello. I'd, you know, mm-hmm. want to interact. So the same thing applies to our thoughts. Mm-hmm. These thoughts are suggested, these lies, the disguise of lies, right? A little bit of truth, concealed right Mm -hmm. concealing the falsehood Mm -hmm. now there's also a verse that talks about deceit regarding our thoughts our mind now most people um, misquote this or they misinterpret it i should say Um, Mm -hmm. jeremiah 17 9 Now, you could probably even say this from memory, Kersel. (laughs) But for our listeners, Kersel,
1: what does this verse say? So it reads, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? It says
0: above all all things. Now, the heart, is it talking about just this muscle that pumps blood? What is the Bible talking about here? About your mind. Yes, it's like when you say, I love you with all my heart. Mm, Your heart is just a muscle pump. (laughs) We're trying to describe our thoughts and our emotions and our our mind, right? So -hmm. it's saying here, the mind is deceitful. So not only does the enemy suggest lies to us, but then we adopt those lies and we start Mm -hmm. thinking about them and creating these patterns we call distortions. Now, Chris, I think we have one more verse, and then we're going to jump into our list of distortions. Proverbs 14, 8. Yes. Let me go to there.
1: Proverbs 14, 8. And it reads, the wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way, but the folly of fools is deceit. What in the world does this have to do with thoughts, (laughs) Chriselle? Well, essentially, the first part of it, talking about the prudent, is to understand his way, meaning to, to take moments to be mindful of the way, that they, the way that he thinks, of his purpose, right? But the folly of the fools is deceit. I don't know how else to put that. I think it's pretty self-explanatory,
0: right? Mm. So we see kind of truth and, and mindfulness of your thoughts and thinking about your thoughts mm. and your ways versus deceit. Now this is a perfect verse to really launch us into the distortions because it's telling us everyone who's watching this episode right now is wise. <laughs> not just wise, probably not I, you know, was a little too quick to say that. Those who then do the truth prescription at the end of thinking about these things and trying to identify your own distortions and thinking about your ways will be yes. wise. Yes, because it's not just about to know your ways. It's to give thoughts to your ways. Yes, to understand. Mm-hmm. So that's why, Kersel, you prayed initially, like open our hearts, right? Mm-hmm. Now, it's really important. I just want to pause for a second for you to approach this with a open and sincere heart. Because, and the reason why I say this is we've been telling ourselves these lies. We've been believing these lies for so long. That it's easy to want to hold on to them. We're comfortable with them, mm-hmm. right? But we will see the impact of these lies. And so I just hope and pray that each and every one of you open to being convicted of the things that you need to change. It's not easy, but we're here to help you identify those lies and to change them. Mm-hmm. So let's head into them, right, Katie? Yes. <laughs> and a rapid fire because there are several. Um, there's 10 of them. And we want to make sure that we get through all of them so that you're able to be equipped to identify.
1: Yes. And so, just a brief disclaimer if not already mentioned, you're not crazy if you have one or all of these. Um, I myself have struggled with a number of them. It's because we all have the enemy who's whispering these lies to us, right? and so it's the the importance is to practice having
0: clarity from these thoughts okay and finding the ones that you identify with the most kind of like building your profile like like Chris all said each of us have these types of thoughts um it's very normal but it's what we do with those thoughts right we have a choice do we believe them and act on them or do we begin to change them so number one krisol
1: All or nothing thinking. So essentially, this is when you see things in black or white categories. Um, If a situation falls short of perfect, you can see it as a total failure. So what would be an example of this, Katie?
0: Oh, I messed up. Oh, it's complete dud, complete failure. Mm. Even though that one little mess up may have been like, "Mm, I sort of didn't, you know, didn't mess up the whole thing, but... I'm saying it messed up the whole thing. And that's why a lot of people will not start projects because they're so fearful of it being a failure or perfect that they get kind of stuck. Mm -hmm. I know
1: from the relational point, uh, sometimes we can approach relationships with an all or nothing thinking. Um, Either they're my friend, if they're all in, (laughs) we hang out with each other all the time, but if we're not that way, then we're not
0: friends or if we're not that way, we don't have a good marriage. He doesn't love me because he does one thing, right? Mm-hmm. These are absolute terms. So that's one way to identify it, absolute terms. Now, Crystal, do we want to go into how to begin changing this or do you want to just go through the, the list?
1: We can give hints because we we'll, the next the next episode will be more hands-on methods on how to change them. Okay. Um, but if you want
0: to give some hints, I think maybe someone's like, but then how do you change it? <laughs> okay, so the hint for this one um, I would just suggest if it's black and white, start trying to think in the gray. Just start pushing yourself to think in the gray. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, number two. Overgeneralization.
1: So this is not just generalization. This is overgeneralization. Just to clarify that. So that is when you see a single negative event, such as a romantic rejection, a career reversal, whatever situation it may be, as a never-ending pattern of defeat, and. Usually, what we notice is that you can have the words such as always, never, or this, all of this, just encompassing everything and throwing it all in there, uh, is part of overgeneralization. So, I know from a relational standpoint, I hear couples say they always do that, or he never does this. And then we stop and we clarify is that the situation? Well, not necessarily. But I just feel that way, which is another cognitive distortion, which we'll get to in a point. (laughs) So that's kind of the
0: example that I would provide. Um, There are many others. Katie, what would you provide? So I asked somebody, how was their week since I last saw them? Oh, it was terrible. Oh, really? The whole entire week. Typically what happens is a couple things happened and they were pretty bad. There's the truth. But then they overgeneralize to the whole week. We do that also with the day. How was your day? Oh, it was bad really the whole day, but we overgeneralize. Now, another quick comment on this. You could also do this in regards to um, people and groups of people. Yeah. When 9-11 happened, oh, all Muslims are terrorists. Is that true? No, right? All men are untrustworthy. Is that true? Some people might be watching and saying, yes. No. <sighs> and, and I think right now, a lot of
1: people struggling with the notion of the world is bad. Mm. Yeah. And while there are bad things happening in the world, not everything in the world is bad today. There's still, still good happening. Yeah.
0: So Christelle, what would be a hint of how to start changing the tendency of overgeneralization?
1: Well, first recognizing in your vocabulary, are you utilizing any of these words? Always, never. Mm-hmm. And if you are, to catch yourself and ask yourself, is this always a situation? Is it that they never do this? And you can stop yourself in that situation. In regards to overgeneralizing with groups of people,
0: how would you say would be a hint, Katie, to change that? Well, you can start thinking, is there at least one person I know that doesn't fit that? Is there one person I know that you know, is a male and is trustworthy, right? Because the moment you find one, you break the all right? Mm -hmm. And that also applies to all or nothing thinking. Now, a quick comment on both so far is, Chriselle, what would be the function? What what would be the enemy's motive behind so far engaging in these patterns of thinking, all or nothing or overgeneralization? Well, I think starting with all or nothing in regards to
1: being fearful that a situation can end up in failure or to be disappointed. And so you have this, okay, either I'm all in, I'm completely disconnected, right? Um, And that disconnects us from ourselves and also from those around us. And then overgeneralization is also a way, I I see it as a way of protecting yourself with these notions that are not true. Because if I think all Muslims are the way that they are because of 9-11, essentially I may be thinking that because I'm fearful of what they've done, but that's not true.
0: Not all Muslims are that way. So it's interesting because you're highlighting that we have a reason why we do these things. We, we, we think these things, I should say. In some ways, like overgeneralization, it's to protect ourselves. After 9-11, we were so fearful, right, that we wanted to protect ourselves. So a quick fix would be saying all of them because I don't know which ones. Mm-hmm. But the flip side to that, what the enemy gets you, there's the truth, but there's the disguise mm-hmm. is that he wants us to be disconnected. So then I avoid all Muslims and I don't get to know good people, right? Mm -hmm. So the next one, mental filter, Mm Kersel, is one that is very common. And it sounds like, you know, it's described the way that it sounds, um, is that you filter out the positive Mm -hmm. and you focus on the negative, the media example that I think about, and a very common example, is children bring home their report cards, and parents see the A's, and then whoop, they focus on that C. They filtered out the A's and focused on the C. And that makes um, people to focus only on the negative and start thinking that life is only about the negative. Mm-hmm.
1: Or let's say you had a presentation at work, or someone gave you a text message, and in that text message was some constructive criticism, <laughs> and you took it as super negative, whereas everything else was "you're so good, I really appreciate you," and this this, but we could work on this. What what do they mean by that? And so, you completely um, dis it. yeah, you completely dismiss everything else that was said, and just focus on that critical. And I say critical because sometimes it's not critical. Sometimes it is.
0: Yeah. Now the next one is similar. So we're just going to jump to number four and kind of talk about them both discounting the positives. Now, some people might think, Oh, that's the same thing. No, the first one mental filter is there. There is negative and you're filtering out the positive discounting. The positives is only positive. You see the positive positive but you, in, you choose to ignore it. So for example, you might insist that your accomplishments or positive qualities don't count. Oh, that was a fluke or, oh, it's nothing, right? Disqualifying or discounting the positives. Do you have an example for that, Crystal? Yes, an example is compliments.
1: Sometimes we may receive a compliment. Someone might say, I really, really love your hair. And you're like, oh, really? Oh, I didn't really do it this morning you just discounted or rejected that compliment versus embracing it and saying, you think so? Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. So d- doing the discounting of the positive really takes out the joy of life and makes you begin just to kind of like wallow in your sorrow. And it-
0: it's very uncomfortable place to be. Yeah. So essentially what you're answering Chriselle, is also, why would the enemy want us to mental filter or disqualify the positive positive? is because these two, especially together, what happens is that it starts painting a very dark world, a very negative world. Mm -hmm. I have so many clients today that are so fearful about what is happening in the world, where they're really filtering out the positive and holding on to the negative, or they do see the positive, but they discount it. And so that dark cloud that people describe is darker and darker because they can see the positive, but they're either filtering it out or ignoring it or holding on to the negative. Yeah. And I've noticed, just to add on to what you're
1: saying, is that this type of cognitive distortion can really lend to a low self-esteem. Because instead of putting tally marks on the things that you're good at, you're putting tally marks on the things that you're bad at. So it kind of goes in with mental filter as well.
0: Yes, especially um, what I've seen is with body image, right? Mm-hmm. You may have certain qualities. And what's so sad is social media doesn't help with this. Mm-hmm. Uh, it hyper focuses on the negative, right? And creates filters and other things, actual filters um, to, to change who you are, right? Wow, yeah, so true. Yeah. But there is beauty there, right? And accepting that beauty. Now, the next one is probably one of the most common ones I see. Me too. Oh, yes. Very common. Do you want to introduce it?
1: Yes. So it's very also commonly said. Stop jumping to conclusions. You're jumping to conclusions. It's part of our vocabulary. At least I've, I've said it. I've heard people say it. But it is actually a cognitive distortion and it has some subcategories. But before we get there, let's just kind of give the definition of what does it mean to jump to conclusion. So essentially, this is when you interpret things negatively, when you have no facts to support your conclusion. Now, let me reiterate that point. No facts to support your conclusion. Now, my patients, my clients are very creative and sometimes they generate some sort of fact that seems to be factual but in reality is not. And so it's important for you to be fully honest with yourself. And we will be giving a, a method in the next episode regarding how you can utilize a survey method of checking in with people. Because sometimes when we have our thoughts stuck in our heads, it can feel very real and true. But then we, we go and we check it with someone or we check it with the Bible. And then it's like, that's not true. <laughs> right. So Katie, give us what, what would be the first subcategory
0: of jumping to conclusions? Yeah, so there's two main types of jumping to conclusions. The first one, and Chris, I know that you provide a lot of relational and relationship related <laughs> examples. This one happens a lot in relationships.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Mind reading. So this is when you're assuming now negatively, right, about people and what they're thinking. Again, with no definite evidence. Now, one thing to just tag on to what you described, Crystal, about not having facts is most people have strong opinions, interpretations. And one of the things that really get to people, and this also applies to the next um, second type of jumping to conclusions, is their past experiences. They use their past experiences to predict future ones. So, for example, if I'm in an argument with my spouse and they go silent. And typically past experiences, they're giving me the silent treatment. So I jump to conclusions. I mind read and say, they're mad at me. But there could also be alternative reasons, right? Maybe um, they're silent because they're actually mad about what something they said and they're thinking about it and they regret it. Or one of the examples I like to give is if you're And this is kind of like a quiz that I use for some of my clients to see if they engage in this distortion. I say, if you're walking down the street and you see someone you know, and you say, hey, Chriselle, and then Chriselle just walks right next, right by you, doesn't say a word. What do you think? Oh, Oh, she doesn't like me. Exactly. So if my clients respond with any sort of, she doesn't like me, she's mad at me, she's ignoring me, I'm like, ding, 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 you engage in mind reading. Mind reading. Mm-hmm. But the alternative options are what, Crystal? What are some alternative um, possibilities?
1: Or maybe they didn't hear me. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're thinking of something else, and so they're just trying to tune out in their own
0: little thought process. And one of the probably most common um, outcomes is that they're wearing earbuds that -hmm. happens so often these days. Now, you'll notice that jumping to conclusions, they might be mad at you. But the key thing is you're saying, definitely, they're mad at me when there are all alternative possibilities. And so you may say, I suspect that's a hint to how to deal with this. Mm -hmm. I suspect that they might be mad at me, but until I have evidence, Crystal, how would you gain evidence in that circumstance? Well, I always tell my patients, check in. That's the only way. You, you, you you can't, I, can't,
1: I can't turn to you and say, Katie, did she ignore me? You don't know either. I have to check into that person to verify whether or not that's true. But a lot of us don't want to do
0: that. Exactly. And so I challenge my clients to say, if you choose not to check in, then you have no permission to be mad at them. Mm-hmm. You have no permission to jump to conclusions. It's on you then. Right. Yeah. Then the second type is fortune telling. Now, this is where you arbitrarily predict things will happen negatively again, turn out badly in the future. Oh, I just know that if I go on that trip, something bad's going to happen. Oh, I just know it. That's why I don't travel. Every time I travel, something goes wrong. Predicting the future. So some hints to recognize this is happening is when you say, oh, it's going to, or I'm going to, she's going to, right? Kind of. Or, I just know. I just know. Right. Mm-hmm. It will happen. My gut feeling, my intuition tells me. Mm-hmm. It will happen. Right. This definite, for sure, something in the future. Now, A Bible verse that helps kind of start combating that is do not worry about tomorrow. Why? Tomorrow will worry about itself. Either tomorrow will worry about itself or each day has enough trouble of its own. Don't be fortune telling. It may or may not happen. 85% of things we fortune tell about never happen. 15% of those times where it might happen, you're better prepared to deal with it. So don't fortune tell. Yeah. Well said,
1: Katie. Don't fortune tell. Okay. Keep going? Yes. Okay. So the next one is magnification or minimization and otherwise known as catastrophizing. So this is essentially when you kind of goes back to the extremes of the all or nothing. Magnification is when you Kind of exaggerate the importance of something, or you exaggerate the shortcomings of yourself or others, and then you have a minimization where you minimize the importance of something or the shortcomings of someone else or yourself. So just to kind of go straight forward into it, I would think of magnification, a very ridiculous example, but it does happen, where all of a sudden a female may break her nail and it's the end of the day, oh my, it's the end, A was. Mm-hmm. The day was ruined. Now I'm not going to be able to go to my interview or at my job. People are going to think that I'm I'm not clean. And then your thoughts just go and more cognitive distortion just kind of perpetuate in your head. That's magnification. That's one example. Whereas minimization, one that I think happens very often with my patients and my clients is when they're dating, they can say, oh, no, but he may change in time or Well, yeah, he he did that, but he does all of this. He does all of this. It's like, okay, well, you're minimizing something that is a red flag Mm -hmm. because maybe you want to stay in the relationship. Or when I work with domestic violence, I would hear some females who would say, and I say females because most of them have been females, not to say that just females struggle with that. But they will say something of the sort or, well, you know, maybe I'm not a good wife. That's why. He's hurting me. Maybe if I was just better in bed, he wouldn't be abusing me. Mm-hmm. Or he, he abuses me, but he provides food for the family. And at least I'm married. Mm-hmm. Minimization.
0: Yes. And with an example for catastrophizing, mm-hmm. which is going to sound ridiculous, but it is one that. Is real. A client had given to me years, years ago. Um, young girl in high school. Oh my gosh, I have a test tomorrow. I'm gonna to fail the test. Okay. So it starts there, which is possible, right? There's the truth. Mm-hmm. Now you'll notice that catastrophizing starts blowing it up, starts growing. I'm gonna fail my test. If I fail my test, I'm gonna fail out of the class. If I fail out of class, I'm gonna fail out of high school. If I fail out of high school, I'm gonna end up jobless. If I end up jobless, I'm going to end up living in a car. I'm going to live in a car. I'm going to end up losing my car. And then if I lose my car, I'm going to end up homeless. And if I'm living homeless in a box, someone's going to come and steal my box. Mercy.
1: Wow. <laughs> and and that can happen. That's about stealing the box. I'm oh, saying all true. of
0: that progression of thoughts. Wow. Yes. What happens is Satan comes and suggests a concern, which is possible. Truth. But then starts piling on and we start growing it to a proportion where there's this Mount Everest and we think there's no way it cripples, right? What's his intention or motive behind catastrophizing is to cripple you so much that you're not able to do the very thing that you need to do. So, for example, she was so crippled, she didn't study. Now that becomes a sabotaging, a self-fulfilling prophecy in which then she increases the likelihood of her failing. Yes. So we think about it because we're so scared that we want to prepare, but then we overthink, where then it becomes handicapping and debilitating. Mm. Now, an example of also minimization is what people do a lot with their emotions. Oh, it's no big deal, right? Oh, that's so true. Mm-hmm. And they minimize their experience, which then leads to suppression of their emotions, invalidation, both of their experiences and sometimes minimization of other people's experiences. Mm -hmm. When people are like, oh, well, and they do this with good intentions. Oh, someone else is suffering more than I. Oh, there's a kid somewhere that has cancer. Oh, the kid's in Africa. Yes, I understand you're trying to cope, but you're saying that you don't matter. Mm -hmm. And that's not true. The kids in Africa are suffering. I don't, let's not overgeneralize, not all of them. Some of them are actually quite content, right? Mm-hmm. But the ones that you are thinking are suffering, they can be suffering. And you can be suffering too in different ways. You can't compare sufferings. So don't minimize your experience. Mm. Very true,
1: Katie. Thank you for adding those definitions. I think that could be more relatable across
0: our viewers all right crystal so you were just introducing emotional reasoning yes so the best way i can
1: say what this is is essentially when you say i feel a certain way so i feel angry therefore i must have been treated unfairly and then coming to a conclusion based on that feeling Uh, this is here this is when you assume that your negative emotions necessarily reflect the way things really are so if i feel guilty that must mean that i am a rotten person or you did something wrong or i did something wrong now what's dangerous about this katie because some people have told me my feelings are my feelings like that's from how i feel and am i supposed to just reject how i feel
0: yes especially those who say oh but my gut is always right Mm -hmm. there's the always right another distortion But the key component here is reasoning based off of your emotions. Your emotions can give you insight, can um, provide some sort of guide, but it's when you're saying, for sure, it's this way because of my emotions. So another good example that happens often is, I feel jealous, therefore, something's going on. Oh, I just know. I just know. Versus checking the facts. And you notice that a lot of these distortions, if not all of them, are really the hint of battling them or challenge them, is looking for the evidence, the truth. Either you don't have evidence, like jumping to conclusions or emotional reasoning, or you have incorrect, or you think it's evidence, but it's more opinions or um, interpretations, but for emotional reasoning, okay, I'm listening to my emotions, okay, I feel jealous. Is there something going on? and then check the facts, look at the truth, and the truth will help you understand what actually is going on. Mm You have to search for the truth. You can't assume the truth. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Now, the next one, Griselle, is also one that is super, super common. Now, I think for clients and those that I've interacted with, jumping to conclusions, all or nothing, and then should statements. So the next one is should statements. Now that sounds as it, as it is. Mm-hmm. Basically, you use a lot of should statements. You can criticize yourself or other people with shoulds. Oh, I should do this, or that person should be doing that. And other culprits are shouldn'ts, musts, oughts, have to mm-hmm. as well. Now, Christelle, I always like to spend some time with this one because people really struggle. They say, aren't there things that I should do?
1: (laughs) Are you asking?
0: Yes. (laughs) What would
1: you (laughs) respond? So this is my response, you know, should statements come from an expectation. And oftentimes individuals can live their lives based on should statements that are expectations that they grew up with, that come from other places other than themselves, Mm -hmm. and it has hindered them the ability to fully discover and grow in their self, because if I just absorb what others tell me what to do, I never really have a moment of self-reflection where I ask myself, is this a should, or is this what I want? Mm -hmm. And so, while there are should statements, and I know I say that because I've heard a couple of my patients and clients that are religious and they say, well, the the Ten Commandments are shoulds. And I say, well, I mean, if you see it from a perspective of a want versus a should, if you're going with the should, you're going to live a life of almost burden. It's burdensome. Yes. Whereas when you say, I want to honor my God. I want to keep the Sabbath holy. I want, etc. You're christian walk your walk with god is very different than shoulds now don't get me wrong should statements we're grown up right you shouldn't do this you shouldn't do this you should do this with the intention of creating a how do you say um, a foundation but there comes a point into adulthood where you begin to have self-reflection what is it that i want what is it that i believe
0: Now, Chriselle, a fascinating fact about the Ten Commandments Mm -hmm. is that in the original Hebrew language, it's actually written as if you will do these things, Mm -hmm. that God will empower us and give us the ability to do those things. So it's not you should, as we think about it, you will. You will honor your God. You will honor your parents. You will keep the Sabbath, right? And so... The English translation doesn't do a great job at conveying that because if you think about the heart of the problem with should statements, what's the motive of the enemy? Some of the things you highlighted, there's expectation, but often unrealistic expectation. Mm -hmm. Oh, you should exercise, you should um, work as a mother, and you should stay at home as a mother, and you should, to all the point of you come with me, have these tons of shoulds. And you're crippled underneath the weight, as you mentioned, the burden of these shoulds and have tos. Not only am I telling myself should statements, but I'm listening to the world's should statements of how a woman should be. I'm then listening to maybe a religious should statement or statements. Mm-hmm. And my parents should statements, my in-laws should statements, and it starts piling up. Mm-hmm. And then all of this, not just unrealistic expectations and a burden, but then on top of it, when I don't do those things, an excessive sense of guilt. Mm-hmm. And then that is the cherry on top of this burden that you're carrying. Mm-hmm. Now to flip it, now the should statements that we have for others, they, create, they say expectations for others are preconceived judgments. hmm you are expecting them, therefore, if they don't do it, for us it's guilt, for them it's judgment. It's judgment. Mm-hmm. and It creates significant anger, mm-hmm. significant resentment, and bitterness.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So on one hand, should statements r- result in guilt for myself, should statements for others, anger, resentment, and bitterness. Yes.
1: And you know, Katie, I had... A particular patient that mentioned to me, but Chriselle, isn't it incorrect to say that as a parent, we shouldn't have should statements? Because then how am I going to be a parent without should statements? What would you say to that person?
0: What I think about is in regards to how we can reframe should statements. So this is applicable both to parents and for us as well is instead of saying shoulds or have-tos or must, you can say, I can. Now, I can, I wish to, I want to. Now, some people might say, well, that's just differences in language or semantics. How is that actually different? Instead of feeling obligated, and that results in guilt and so forth, can or want to, wish to, so forth, recognizing it's a choice. It's not an obligation. There's nobody that can tell you what to do, right? Um, there are always choices. Even if people might say, well, the law and other things there are always choices. 65, speed limit, I have to? No, you don't have to. You have a choice to break that law or not to break that law. Now, parents. A lot of times we want to think, oh, you should, you have to, right, rules, 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 instead of equipping your child to recognize they have choices. Now, the same way the Heavenly Father deals with us and manages our kind of rebellious spirits is by providing that choice. He's a respecter of persons, even in the Garden of Eden. If you think about it, he's the father, they're the children. He provided them a choice. And the more parents equip their children to recognize they have choices and responsibilities and then help them make those right choices, right? So instead of saying, I have to, I can, I wish to, I want to, it's good for me. And just as a very quick example, the moment you change, I have to exercise to, it's good for me, I want to. Motivation changes. It completely changes your thoughts impact your behavior Mm -hmm. so should statements are powerful and so we really have to change them now and quickly another comment the enemy wants us to think that god is a god of shoulds have tos musts Mm -hmm. a lot of people are anti-religion or anti-god because they have a misperception that he is this way Mm -hmm. and yet the bible talks about i want to give you the desires of your heart right if You being evil, not to give good gifts to your children. How much more does your heavenly father want to give you good gifts? He wants to be able to provide you with choice to choose him and to choose life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, Crystal, two more. The next one is labeling. (laughs) What is (laughs) labeling?
1: Well, it's when you label yourself or others, right? And some people say, well, I don't really label myself. Well, you'd be shocked. I know that it can kind of just be a slip of the tongue. Well, you know, I'm just lazy. That's uh, labeling yourself as lazy. Or um, what are other labels, Katie, that you hear often?
0: You stub your toe. Oh, I'm so stupid. Mm. I'm such an idiot. I'm such a loser. Right.
1: Or for others. for others. I know this can happen often with road rage. You don't even know this person. Possibly they didn't even see their face. You can't even confirm if it's a male or a female. And all of a sudden you give a plethora of labels. <laughs> Especially, oh, they're such a jerk. Or mm-hmm. So you, you put a label on to their person of who they are versus the behavior of what they did.
0: Yes, that's the essence of what's problematic, right? Is there's some truth. Mm-hmm. Of recognizing their behavior, let's say their driving was a little erratic the behavior, but then we attribute it to their identity. They are a jerk. They are so forth. Now, I wouldn't like somebody to do that to me. Mm-hmm. And yet we do it to ourselves or to other people. Right. Now, an example of this, Chriselle, you brought up parenting, is we do this a lot with parenting, unfortunately kid does something well what do we say oh you're such a good girl you're such a good boy behavior equals identity so a lot of people start growing up with this idea that if i do better i'm a better person if i do things right if i I can i can some way gain my mother's love Mm -hmm. by doing things by achieving things but what the bible teaches is that you are good not because of what you do, but because of what he has done for us. Mm-hmm. Our identity is in Christ, not in what we do. Mm-hmm. What we do as a reflection of our identity in him.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, let's go for our last one personalization and blame. So these are all, these both are one, but the, just in different directions. Personalization is internal, whereas blame is external. So, personalization is essentially when you hold yourself personally responsible for an event or a situation that wasn't entirely in your control. So, an example of that could be, let's say that your child is not doing well in school and you're saying, it's all my fault. I'm a horrible mother. Um, if only I did this better, my child would be doing better. So, your, your child is the one who's responsible for the great
0: situation, but then you're saying, it's my fault. It's me, 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 me. Now, a flip example to that is parents are getting a divorce. Child thinks, it's all my fault, my fault. right? Yeah. So different roles in the family or in society, and you can take on personalizing the responsibility that is not either entirely yours or yours at all. Yep. And it says here personalization leads to guilt, shame, and feelings
1: of inadequacy. So it's almost like the enemy is there, just grinding and crushing you till you feel like nothing. Yeah, Very sad. And then there's blame. Now, blame doesn't necessarily have to be towards a person. It could be towards a situation. It could be towards a culture. It could be towards your parents. It could be towards many different things. But essentially what blame is doing is you're saying, it's not my fault. It's that fault. It's their fault. And you're allocating the responsibility on something else or on someone else which can lead you to live a life that essentially is misdirected and you don't take responsibility in
0: any of the decisions that you make. Yeah. And so the way to start reframing this, right, is to ensure that responsibility is taken or placed where it belongs. Mm. So if I do mess up, it's not personalization. It's saying I messed up. I'm taking responsibility. At times, that person did mess up. So again, it's not always saying it's my fault or their fault. It's not always, but finding a balanced, truthful thought. Mm -hmm. Oh, in this case specifically, it is that person's fault. In this case, it's mine. And
1: often when it comes to marriage counseling, you will recognize that there's a lack of responsibility and a lot of blame. Or sometimes there are the cases where there's a lot of personalization. It's all my fault. And then the other person's like, what's going on? Like you're playing the victim role and I'm over here feeling guilty for you being the victim. Mm -hmm. So both of the, it can can look very
0: different, but it, it does exist a lot in marriage. You notice a pattern here with Satan's motives behind these distortions. It both causes a lot of distress for the individual but it causes a lot of distress in relationships and really disconnects people. The more you personalize, the more that you blame really disconnects individuals. And kind of reminds me of the verse that talks about how sin separates us from God, right? Lies separate us from God, separates us from people, even causes our ourselves so much guilt, shame, and feelings of inadequacy, as you mentioned, Chrisal. Mm-hmm. So these are the 10 cognitive distortions, the disguise of lies, the lies that we tell ourselves. And I love this quote. It says, never talk negatively to yourself. You're always listening, right? You're always listening. And so, Chriselle, I think this is a good moment to just, before we get into the conclusion of our of our verse, I actually think this might be a great place to talk about the truth prescription that we have. So we're gonna kind of do things a little bit out of order, but I want to talk about the truth prescription. Okay. So I'm gonna share it here on the screen. Make sure I have everything here. All right.
1: Here we go. Okay, so as we do customarily, in our episodes, we have a truth prescription at the end of all our episodes. And so for today's, we have review cognitive distortions provided, the ones that we review today, the 10 of them, and begin identifying which distortions you engage in. And if you have a hard time identifying them, simply begin to increase your awareness of them. Now, it's hard to increase your awareness if you don't know what you're needing to be aware of. So I always tell my patients, review this list so that you can be more familiarized with it because you can't identify something if you don't know what you're identifying. And then number 2, attempt to begin changing them. And hence the word attempt because yes, in the next episode we'll be giving you methods of how to actually change these thoughts. Says so right here, but we'll have a future session to further equip you to change them. But just attempt because you'd be shocked how we have the ability To begin to think differently, but it's just that we've created a habit of thinking a particular way, so it can be difficult to think otherwise.
0: Okay. Now, Chriselle, we wanted to end with a particular passage, and this will both um, be in relation to the distortions, but also how to start changing them. And I really appreciate these verses. We're going to be turning to John 8, so John chapter 8. And now, if you recognize that verse or that passage, it's because we turned there earlier in our episode to highlight in verse 44 that the father of all lies is the enemy. Mm -hmm. And what I love about the Bible, the Bible does not only highlight the problem, it also highlights the solution. And even before it highlights the problem, it provides us the solution. So in verses 31 and 32, we have a solution for the disguise of lies. So, Kersel, can you read those, those verses for us?
1: Yes. Then Jesus said to those Jews who
0: believed him,
1: If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free.
0: So, Kersel, key word there, one of the key words is abide. What does it mean to abide in my word? is to familiarize
1: yourself with it, to to sit with it, to abide with someone, is to spend
0: time with them. Hang out. To hang out. Mm -hmm. Abide in my word. And we know that his word is truth, right? So we've talked about the Bible is truth. If you spend time in the Bible, if you have a distorted thought of fortune telling, right? We talked about don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow has enough trouble. Each day has enough trouble of its own, right? If I have the distorted thought of, um, of should statements, right? I can look towards the Bible and recognize, Oh, God is a God of choice.
1: Or even if you have the overgeneralization, no one
0: loves me. Mm-hmm. That's automatically disqualified with the words that Christ has here. And I love the verse that says, though a suckling um, mother may for suck, a mother may forget her suckling child. Mm-hmm. I will never forget you, says the Lord. So even if you say, "Oh, nobody loves me because I've had I've been abandoned or rejected by my family," the Word tells you, "No one is not true." God loves you. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I love that. Thank you, Criselle. And so abiding in His Word because His Word is truth, and then we know in verse thirty-two what Criselle. The truth shall
1: make you free, and that is just so wonderful because I have heard so often where people say, I feel stuck. I feel like my thoughts control me. I don't know how I'll ever be able to escape the way that I think. But we know that God's word, which is truth, will
0: set you free. And in a world in which we live with so much falsehood, mm-hmm the only way for us to have that liberty is to abide in his word. And you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. Not maybe, it, it will. will set you free. Mm-hmm. Let's have a word of prayer for Saul, and then we'll, we'll close for this episode. Let's bow our heads. Dearly Father God, we want to thank you so, so much for your word. Your word gives us understanding of who we are in reality, not in our distorted thoughts, who we are, who other people are, and who you are, God. And we know that as we abide in your word, which is truth, that we can have liberty from all of these lies. And Lord, these are hard lies to combat because they're disguised, they're distorted, we believe them. And the enemy, the father of all lies, convinces us. Maybe we believe these lies for years. God, I know that people are watching this episode and they've been stuck, chained to these thoughts for years, for a long time, God. I pray that tonight they may begin to identify and throughout in future episodes that you may fully give them liberty of these thoughts. Bless us, bless our hearers and our watchers, Lord. We pray in Jesus name.
1: Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. We will see all of you again in two weeks. And just to reiterate, the very important, very important fact is that, well, let me add this on. (laughs) Don't forget to subscribe, follow and share with a friend. But in continuation to what I was saying is the important fact that the truth will set you free. So don't forget to take your daily dosage, your daily dosage of the truth. Why, Katie? Because, as always, you should know the truth, and the truth will set you for free Bye, friends. Thank you for joining us. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.